This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Hi, I am Melissa Overton. Today we will be reading from 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17, and that is found on page 996 in the Pew Bibles if you would like to follow along. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17, page 996. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, well, let me add my good morning and welcome. If you haven't met, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors as well, and I'm glad you guys are with us. Hey, I want to jump into the text here, but let me make a quick announcement. Our property team has asked me to kind of help explain what's happening with our parking lot and then our painting project that we have going on. And so give me just a couple of minutes to kind of bring you into that. Uh, So a couple of weeks ago, our members voted to approve the resurfacing of our parking lot, which is like Christmas around here. It's super exciting. We're all pretty stoked about it. It's actually one of those things like about your house. You're like, man, this is not the kind of money that I want to spend. Like it's plumbing or something like that. You're like, dude, you don't even get to see it or enjoy it. But we will be able to enjoy the parking lot, but it's not... um, It's not like fun money to spend, but we felt like it's only going to get more expensive, and we technically had the money, uh, so we felt like we should go ahead and go forward with it. And it's one of those deals, again, where you look at the bank account and go, technically the money's there, but we feel a little bit nervous about this. And so let me be uh, uh, welcoming to you to engage this project with us. And if you think about wanting to contribute here, a ways for you to kind of be on board with what's going on, would love for you to kind of help us pay for that. But... Like in a home, when you look at the project and you go, okay, we can technically afford the new roof or whatever, that means we have to cut back in some other places. One of those places is on the painting that we needed to do. And so rather than hiring that out, we've decided to take that project on ourselves as a church. And so it's kind of uh, two parts of this thing. So one is we're funding this parking lot, which we're excited to get that done. It'll be safer, healthier, long-term. It's a good move. But that means that we have to do some work ourselves around the church, and one of those is this painting project. And so I know that speaks to lots of your love language when you think about ways to be involved. And so let me demystify that. You don't have to be an expert painter. Uh, We would love just bodies with brushes in hand. I think we can pull a lot off together as we just gather as a people. And so I want to invite you to jump into that as well. So, man, give to the parking lot. That's great. But come and help us. 
uh, kind of pay for that parking lot by doing manual labor around the painting, if that makes sense. So those are kind of the same kind of idea there in that equation. Uh, so those painting days are the last Saturday of this month and the first Saturday of next month. Uh, we've got a great team in place. They're working hard to get all the stuff organized where you show up and you're handed a brush and some paint and you know exactly what to do. They just need to know who's all coming so we know how to prepare best for that. And so this afternoon, an email is going to hit your inbox that will make it easy for you to sign up for that. There's also a sign-up sheet in the back. Our property team is going, this is going to be an amazing project if there are people here to actually do the painting. And so we'd love to welcome you into that. And I always love to just uh, mention this kind of as a side note, maybe a little bit of a sales pitch. It actually is a great way to meet people as well. So it'll be just that morning. There'll be lots of folks here who are new, those folks who've been here for a while. So if you're looking at ways to get involved, these little projects and service days really are like a helpful way for you to hear more about who we are, experience us as a people. And so you don't have to be a Christian, you don't have to be a member of our church, you don't have to even be coming very long uh, to jump in with that. And uh, if you need like National Honor Society, like service hours or whatever you need to do, man, we'll sign off on whatever you want, but we'd love for you to come and to help us with that. So it starts in two weeks, uh, last Sunday of this month and then the first Sunday of October. Um, and again, you'll get an email that will make that easy for you and then you'll come and uh, we'll paint together. Helpful, Jim? All right, Jim has uh, put in hundreds of hours, uh, actually thousands and maybe millions of hours over the years in our building, and uh, man, would love to kind of come alongside our volunteers and our leaders with that. Okay, so that is that announcement. Um, uh, it, should, it should be fun. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into this text, and I'll tell you where we're going. So Jesus, thank you for this place, this building, this space. Uh, your mission is not tied to buildings, but you actually use facilities like this. You're you're the God of the material and the spiritual, and so uh, I'm thankful even as I make a strange announcement that you are uh, mindful of us and that you want to meet us and you want to help us, uh, and you want to speak deeply into our souls. You've already done some of that, reminding us of the, the fortress that you are, uh, about your faithfulness, which invites us to ask you to come and engage us, and so I just pray, God, you would do that now through your word as we encounter together what you want to say to us really about your word, in your word, in ways that begin to shape us as a people. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thanks that you have given us your word. Thanks that when we gather in a place like this on a Sunday, we're not just left to hear the ideas of men or to be inspired. We actually get to hear from you. I, I just pray that would like uh, blow us away just for a moment. Like what we are doing when we gather around the scriptures is actually hearing the voice of God. So then we just invite you to speak. Would you, would you help me explain what you're saying well? And would you just speak directly to your people this morning? So I have outlines and I have things I want to say uh, that I feel like you put on my heart, but, but I know there's things you want to speak and whisper into people's hearts and lives that are particular to their situations, their burdens, their pain, their longings, uh, the places where they're, they're aware of their neediness. So would you, would you speak, Holy Spirit, you use this text, and would you help us as a people kind of hear you, trust you, believe in you, and, and draw close to you. So, so speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, hey, so we're going to take a four-week break from our series in Matthew as we launch the fall, and we're going to spend four Sundays talking really about what is the essence of biblical community. So what does it mean for people to not just hang out together and be friends and 
grab a beer or go to McLean's and get a cinnamon roll, but what do you actually do around the name of Jesus in relationships that help us grow, that help us be honest, that help us be seen, that help us be cared for? How do we do relationships? And it's the kind of thing that all of us long for, things that we've tasted at different times in our life. Maybe you have childhood friends that were really dear to you. Maybe the season in college was really special. But if we're honest, relationships are a place where most of us struggle. We have idealism is one side that like has this image that we're shaping and chasing after that we're looking for that we can never quite seem to attain or we have these things that we had at one time or and we lost or our expectations just haven't been met there's there's lots of tangled things around relationships and yet the scriptures would say we're actually made for relationships so to be made in the image of God and God himself as a relational being means that you and I are designed for relationships. So some of that ache that you feel and that longing you feel isn't just you being needy or demanding. It's actually in your wiring and in your DNA. And then we struggle because of the fall, because of sinful nature, because of our past and our background and our pain and our experiences. So we struggle to trust. We struggle to be honest. We struggle not to compare or compete. We struggle to know how do we actually do relationships. And so we bring all of those things into the church. And now we say, oh, here's a whole group of people they're trying to figure out how to love each other and care for each other and we've got all this baggage and all this longing and so how do we actually go forward well the great news is like God's word tells us how to go forward and so what we want to do the next couple of weeks is talk about what's God calling us to as a people when it comes to gathering around his word sitting in spaces where we actually crowd to him and pray together have a place where we can be honest and we can unburden ourselves and not just with things that are sinful but things that are just painful and that we long for that we need help with so we can just open up our lives and our hearts to people to be seen and known and have somebody then apply fourthly the identity of Jesus to that space so so the scriptures and prayer and unburdening and then reminding of the gospel identity we think are four elements that that we need as people and they really do form the foundation for community. Okay, so in the near term, this makes a lot of sense for us in the fall because we're launching small groups. Even this week, we're starting groups, and so there are some groups of people signed up for those. There's some people just have formed relationships. So we're launching small groups, and so for the next four weeks, what we're doing in a very real way, in a near way, is helping those groups get off the ground. We'll talk about what we want you to do in groups. And then there's a lot of you are like, well, I'm not in a group, so I'll see you like in five weeks. I'll come back when this series is over. So here's the great news. What we think you should be doing in small groups isn't a church program. It's what you're designed to do as a human. So, so it's a small group kind of primer to think about what we're trying to do when we gather. But we're trying to do that when we gather because we think it's what we're supposed to do anyway just as people. You're actually designed to hear from God. You're designed to speak to God. You're designed to be known and unburden yourself, and you're designed to be constantly reminded of what Christ has done for you, right? Whether that's in the first time to hear that good news of somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is, or somebody who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, to be reminded of what Christ has done. We constantly need this kind of reinforcement of his word and prayer and being honest and then reminding us of what Christ has done. So, so whether you're in a small group or not, I think what will happen in the next couple of weeks will benefit you because they are what we should be doing anyway which is kind of our focus as a church, right? Even our small group structure and plan isn't a provocative small group plan. It's just what we see the scriptures calling us to. And we didn't plan this, but having Michael pray us through that Colossians 3 passage, if you've been here for a little while, you know that's kind of true north for us. 
the Colossians 3, 1 to 4, 6 passage kind of paints a picture for us of what we think it means to be in community, what it means to pursue transformation. And so we're transformed as we have a gospel identity, as we repent and turn away, and as we turn to walk by the Spirit, like to be reclothed of what God wants us to do. So you can even hear those themes in these ideas of we want to gather around the Scriptures and to pray. That's how we know what it is to walk by the Spirit. And repentance and then unburdening ourselves is the same thing, right? So Colossians 3, 5 to 11, we want to practice that in our groups. And then the way Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says, here's your gospel identity. We want to just remind ourselves of that. So almost like a grade school when you have the overhead projector, if you're like born before 1970, you remember those? So you have those clear transparencies. We're just kind of overlaying some themes. Here's what small groups should do because here's what Christians should do. Here's the focus of our church because here's what we think God's calling us to as a people. So I want to kind of stack these things up and then call you again, regardless of where you are with small groups, to engage with us in these practices. So, so I hope you'll be encouraged. And here's kind of the main idea this morning. We are a dependent people. And we hate that, actually. There's a lie that we heard way back when our first parents were in the garden that you needed more than God had provided for you. You should take matters into your own hands. You should not be dependent. You should be able to know everything there is to know and therefore be independent. So it's part of our human nature, part of our caring from our parents and their dysfunction is that we are simultaneously can escape our dependence and our need to kind of be told and to have interpretation and, and to kind of have somebody else speak over us. And we resist that because we want to be autonomous. We want to have independence. We want to be essentially our own little gods. And so what we have in the scriptures is God speaking to us who we are, what he's like, what we need, what we actually long for. It interprets and makes sense of the things that are inside your heart. So we're a dependent people. God is a loving God, has met our needs. He speaks into what we need most. And yet we have this constant push and resistance to it. So to say that we want to gather around God's word is really a call to be under authority. And here's the great news, not just under my authority or under some denominational authority or under some ideological authority, but under God's authority himself. Paul actually says in this text, he just opens up, look in verse 16, that all the scriptures we have, they're breathed out by God. So Paul just says, hey, there's a, a way that we live under God's authority. If God has spoken these scriptures, then the God of the universe has authority over our lives. The scriptures themselves then, by definition, have authority over us. To talk about living in God's word or being under the scriptures or talking about passages is not swapping ideas about certain behaviors and history and religions and preferences. It's to sit under God's word and ask God, what do you want us to do? What are you saying to us? We're dependent people who are prone to wander and to drift. So would you speak to us your word in ways that actually help us know how to live in this world under your authority. So, so we're dependent people, and God in his mercy has spoken to us, helping us interpret, helping us make sense of the world, helping us know what he's like, what we're like, what's wrong with the world, and what God wants us to actually do. And Christians have always been a dependent people, and God has always been a speaking God. So to our dependence and our vulnerability and our need to have somebody explain things to us comes the mercy and pattern of God that he has always been a revealing and speaking God. 
And there are times where you feel like he's playing his cards really close to the vest and he's not explaining to you why something is happening. But the testimony of Scripture is that God is a God who speaks and explains. Maybe not in the minutia of what you need in this particular moment, but in ways that are bigger and help you interpret the moment. He's actually spoken about who he is, what he's like, what we need, and what we long for. Even the very first pages of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, 3, creation is a spoken act. He speaks the world into existence. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see God revealing through his prophets and through his leaders his word to his people. So people come out of slavery for 400 years, don't know who they are, and God spends 40 years explaining to them where they come from and what it's like to follow him and what he asks of them and what they can depend on him for. Right? God is a God who speaks into our world. So the Old Testament is God speaking his promises And then we open up the New Testament in passages like John chapter 1, and it says that God has now spoken through himself, and that God himself, Jesus Christ, is the Word of God. So we're a dependent people. God is a revealing God, and God has revealed himself most clearly in the person and work of Jesus. So he actually speaks through himself, through the incarnation, through him walking among us. And then Hebrews 1 would say, in the past, God spoke to the prophets and the teachers of old, and now he's spoken to us directly through his son. God is a speaking, revealing God to our dependence. And then he says, hey, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And in John 14 and John 16, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and remind you of what I taught. So these teachings weren't just for those people back then. He's saying God's going to help us apply those to our life, that God breathed them out some thousands of years ago means they're not just ancient, they're actually for us now. And the Spirit of God applies those to us. And then Jesus says in Matthew 28, part of our mission as we go and proclaim hope to the world and offer the transformation of Jesus is to to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them, which has helped them understand that Christ died for their sins, that he made a way for new life to happen, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So the mission of the church and the followers of Jesus, their calling is to sit under God's word and to be transformed and shaped by it. So we are a dependent people. And so what we do when we gather is to hear from God and say, God, what do you want from us? How should we go forward? What what are you like? What have you promised? What's the world actually doing? How do we actually engage in what we see around us? How should we interpret this suffering and this pain and this sin and this dysfunction? How do we long for the future? How do we engage with our own brokenness? How do we have desires for relationships? How do we do peace? What about our sex life? What about our money life? What about people that are different than us? What about enemies? How do we engage in all these things? What you see is God mercifully has spoken to us through his word in an authoritative way. So so the first thing I want you to see is that that we have needs and God speaks into those needs with authority. So he says all scripture is breathed out by God. And because it's breathed out by him, by definition, it has authority. And the second thing he says is that it is applicable, right? He says it's breathed out by God and it's profitable, Which just makes sense as well. If God's the one who is speaking it, if God's the one who's revealing it, then it would have authority and it would actually make sense to our lives as the creator speaks it into the creation. So so it has authority and it has applicability. And you go like, man, I've read parts of the scripture. Sometimes I read things that don't make any sense. Sometimes they feel really, really far 
removed from my culture and my setting. And what we have to understand is what God is doing is teaching us what he's like. And the reason why you have so many narratives in the scripture is you're hearing the story of what God is like. The scriptures are not just propositions and commands and sentences that we just understand, diagram, and then obey. It's a love story and a narrative of a faithful God with an unfaithful people that he has kept his promises to. And so what you see in those pages is an application of the love of God to our lives. So so it just makes sense then as a people that when we gather together, we would want to sit underneath his word. What I long for for us as a people is that reflexively, we would always ask, what does God's word say about that? It's with your marriage, it's with your singleness, it's with your sexuality, it's with your money, it's with your future, it's with your fears, it's with your longings, it's with things that are broken, places where you need healing. And we should ask reflexively, what does God's word say about that? Because all scripture is breathed out, it's inspired, it comes from God, it has its origin in the divine one. So so it has a bigness to it, and it is profitable, it's applicable, it makes sense to our lives. So we take God's words and we bring them into our life. And so we gather as a small group or as roommates or as parents with children or as spouses or as friends, and we ask, what does God's word say about that? And here's what I'm so excited about. I'm so excited about us building a culture here that's rooted in lots of decades of history where this has been a church that has valued the Word of God. And you could make some arguments over the years. We've kind of had some twists and turns, but even the Word of God has helped us navigate those twists and turns to come back to center and kind of be on the right page with finding our cues from God's Word. And then we're a community that in a lot of ways is transitioning and changing and transforming. And so if you know our history We've gone through lots of changes as a church in the last decades, but particularly in the last 18 months. So COVID, like for everybody, was a massive change and transition for our church. We've experienced some acute crisis last summer. You have a new pastor that's just been here eight or nine months. That's a lot of change. We've got people that are coming from all across our city that are new to our church. That's a ton of change. And so in a lot of ways, we find ourselves kind of developing or emerging or figuring out who we are as a people. And the great news is we're not disconnected, right? We have a history. And what we're doing is asking, how do we want to go forward? And we're asking about some very simple practices that we believe if we give ourselves to them, they would shape us and transform us. So so I was thinking about early in our marriage, uh, one of our first houses that we bought, we tried to do some landscaping. I actually love that stuff. I'm not very good at it, but I don't have a lot of hobbies. And so like yard work and chores are actually sickly kind of fun for me in some ways and so happy always to go haul some mulch around happy always to go plant something so we go to the store and we're going to put some bushes in front of our house and I don't know if you bought bushes uh, recently but they come in different sizes and the different sizes shape how much they actually are so I both love chores and love yard work and am a cheapskate so I will always buy the $1.99 thing that you can barely tell what it is And when it's next to the $45 bush, you're like, oh, that thing is beautiful. You're like, yeah, yeah, it'll get there. Give us a decade, we'll get there. But we can start with $1.99, and that little thing will grow over time. And so we we landscaped our front of our house, and we bought four $7 little boxwood little bushes, right? And I think they're about the size of a volleyball, maybe like a deflated volleyball, right? They're, They're really, really tiny. You could barely see them 
from the street. That's, that's how small they were. But, man, we didn't have much money, so seven bucks times four, that's way better than seven bucks times 35. It's like a $35 bush is like maybe one day we'll get to a space where we actually make it and we can buy full-size bushes. But for now, as a young married couple, we're buying the $7 little bushes. Okay, so we bought that house, we landscaped that house, we sold that house, moved away from that house, and then about a decade later, we're driving through that town and happened to drive by Memory Lane and go buy our old house. And you know what? That little $7 bush, and I don't know what like, the black market value is of used bushes, I don't know if it's actually worth $35 now, but, but this little $7 bush had grown, like significantly. Like, you could tell it's the same kind of bush, but it was so much bigger, so much larger, it was almost unrecognizable. And there was this moment where I thought, oh, what if as a church, we could have a vision for little things that if we're faithful to them, they will make a massive difference and they'll grow over time. So that we're not coming in like at graduate level, like Jedi level stuff. We're coming in very simple. Jesus would say like the way a child actually has to come. Coming in at the $7 level of a small little bush that's alive, it's real, and God promises over time he will grow it. And so I don't know how you see your life, right? So take it out of landscaping to your life and go, man, where where do you see yourself? And maybe some of us are like, man, I'm way bigger than the $35 bush, kind of metaphorically. I'm I'm amazing. Uh, Maybe. All right. But most of us feel like $1.99 little hostas that have one little leaf on them, right? So here's the great news. When you give yourself to sitting under the authoritative teaching of God's word that is applicable to your life, you actually grow over time. And so small group leaders don't have to know everything. They just have to know to ask the question reflexively, what does God's word say about that? They don't even have to know what God's word says about that. They just have to ask, what does God's word say about that? And invite the community then to search the scriptures under God's authority to ask for his help to shape and move in that group. And here's what we believe, that a decade of that, and some of your lives prove this out. Some of you guys that are in your 70s and 80s, you've proven decades worth of slow, incremental, non-sensational, but faithful moments in God's word have radically changed you. And you look back over your life and you think about where you were in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and all that you were facing, and now you're in this twilight of your life and you can see God's hand and faithfulness, not because you're amazing, but this authoritative God kept his promise to speak over you his words of life that would actually then transform and change you. So what I long for for us as a community is that we would sit confidently, even if it's complex, under the word of God, believing that he spoke it, verse 16 says, he breathed it out, and it is profitable. It actually is helpful. It's, it's applicable. Now, in a moment, I want to walk through the rest of that verse, and I want to give us like four action steps and four kind of movements I think that we should engage the scriptures with and ask them to do this for us and kind of give us a pattern to follow. But, but let me just back up for a second back to verse 10 in the text. Let me give you some other things that this text says about scripture and I'm just going to go super fast look with me in verse 10 he says you however you followed my teaching this is the apostle Paul speaking to Timothy Timothy's a young pastor in the first century he's a second generation Christian his mom and grandma are the ones who led him to Christ and he was under the teaching of Paul and he says you've actually followed my teaching and you go wait a second I thought this was about the authority of God's word what we see throughout the scriptures is is that God is testifying to even the words of Paul as the scriptures. And so in 2 Peter, we see that Peter says, hey, this guy Paul writes some things. They're kind of hard to understand. 
as are the other scriptures. And so we see Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, kind of giving testimony to Paul's writings as the words of God. And when you look at Paul, uh, time won't give me enough time to kind of give you a full explanation, but you see that, that God is breathing out his word through his early apostles and prophets. And the doctrine is confluence, right? They're not typewriters that roll their eyes back in their head and God just dictates to them. It's through their personalities. The scriptures say they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so that's why you have different kinds of grammar. It's why you have different voices in the scripture. You have over 40 authors in the scriptures. But he's saying these words, my teachings that are in line with God's word, they've actually brought about change in you. What I want you to see in that is these these truths are transferred relationally. Paul says, these are my teachings that you're familiar with. Later on, he's going to say, in your family, you've actually engaged these sacred writings. The scriptures are meant to be relationally given and received, to be processed together in community. You don't have to figure them out all by yourself. So they're relational, and they actually then they shape us, they change us. So he says in verses 10 to 11, he does this like you, however, which he's contrasting these false teachers in the above section that are defined by love of self and lovers of money and proud and arrogant and abusive and disobedient. He says, instead of that, you follow my teaching and my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, even going into persecutions and sufferings, right? It actually changes us. It's given to us relationally. God, the relational God, has it transferred to us relationally, and it begins to shape us over time. It breaks the love of money. It breaks the love of self. It breaks our arrogance and our pride and our abuses and actually grows in us this love and steadfastness and patience. It goes on, though, to say that the scriptures actually help interpret what's going on around us. So so he says in verse 11, like these persecutions and sufferings that I had, you followed me in those things. And yet with all of them, the Lord has rescued me, says verse 11. Indeed, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. By evil people and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. He's saying, let me interpret for you your suffering. So the scriptures are giving relationally, they actually shape us, and they help interpret our existence. This is huge, right? When you suffer and you go, man, is God actually good? Because if he's good, then why would he allow this bad thing to happen? Or maybe he's good, but he doesn't have power, because if he has power, wouldn't he stop this bad thing from happening? And what you have here with Paul in the scriptures is an interpretation for us of our lives to hear, hey, God is after something than just your comfort. He's after something more than just your safety. He's actually doing something, and the scriptures promise if you follow after God, you'll be persecuted, which is a whole nother sermon, but just see in this text, there's an interpretation to Timothy's experiences that happen in the word of God. Because the scriptures aren't just propositions and commands, they're stories of how God has worked with people for millennium. It gives an interpretation about your life. What do you do when God seems silent? Well, there's other people in Scripture who, whom God has seemed silent to. And so you read those stories and you get interpretation of it's not that he's abandoned me. It's not that he's turned his back on me. It's actually he's doing something deep inside of me. It's mysterious, but I can walk the road of Job in suffering, asking really hard questions, bringing my heart to God, actually doing it in non-impressive ways and still being loved. The Scripture's give an interpretation to us for our lives. So when we gather in a small group, 
We're talking about our jobs and our marriages and our bodies and our longings and our money. And we reflexively ask, hey, what does God's word say about this? We're not looking for a needle in a haystack of one little command and verse that would unravel the mystery. What we're looking at is the narrative of God that helps interpret what's going on. So even like suffering, there's not one reason why we suffer. So even the question that gets asked, why would a living God allow bad things? That's a long, 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 like 40 authors, several thousand years answer to how and why God allows bad things to happen. But we're asking for the scriptures to interpret for us our experience. Right? Where he says that actually they're, they're reliable. He says these are the sacred writings, which is such good news for us in this day and age where we are tossed back and forth from whatever we read on Twitter or Instagram or whatever the news story. Right? There's so much information, so much feigned authority, so much misinformation. So we actually wonder, man, where can I find footing in a world that is just going bananas? And to hear that the scriptures are ancient, where he says they're sacred writings, he says in verse 15. These go way, way back. They're rooted historically in things that you can trust and you can rely on. They're not rooted in our American bias. There's not a gender bias in them. There's not, there's not this cultural bias that we feel in this moment as Americans in 2021. They're ancient and historical, trans, um, transisting past multiple cultures, multiple people, even multiple languages to have a strong, sure footing to rest our lives on. Just two more things in this. He says, though, they have a redemptive purpose, right? These sacred writings is in verse 15 that you've been acquainted with since you were a little kid. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So the scriptures don't answer every question that we have, but they answer the question that's most important to us of how do I fix this ache inside of me that I know I'm not what I'm supposed to be? What do I do in this fallen and broken world? The scriptures are wise unto salvation. They are redemptive in nature. So we're not just trying to get the scriptures together so that we can win some more like associational quiz bowl as a church when we do track our Bible knowledge back and forth. We're actually trying to understand how to apply the good news of the gospel. He says these scriptures that you're gathering around, they're authoritative, they're applicable, and they're, they're able to help you kind of wrap your mind around what it means to actually be capital S saved, like whole, trans, like transformed, redeemed, forgiven, and seeing God actually transform all the cosmos and bring everything back to the way it was supposed to be. Right There, there is a redemptive angle to it. And then in verse 17, he says, all these things are there to equip the man of God for every good work. Right? They're actually to train you to actually engage in the world around you so you know in moments where your back's against the wall, how can you respond? What do you do with that boss? What do you do with that wayward parent, wayward child, hard relationship? What do you do when you look at the bank account and there's not much there? What do you do in those situations? The scriptures are able through this tapestry of narratives and commands to equip us to live in the real world. So, so then we go, like, what are we trying to do as a people? Man, we want to gather around that. We want to gather around God's authoritative, applicable word that's given to us relationally, that actually changes us and interprets our experience in reality. It actually helps us move forward. It points us to where salvation can be found, and it equips us in this real life. And all we have to do as a people is reflexively ask the question, what does God's word say about that? And then gather together in community to where our biases are actually minimized, we have other perspectives and voices speaking in. 
And we're not just looking for that one singular voice. We're asking, God, what does the narrative of Scripture say to us so that we can transform and be changed and be renewed and be reoriented around that narrative of what God has done? So, so that's why we want to gather as a small group. And so he says in verse 16, let me give you kind of some practical, helpful kind of framework. Right? That's the, the big view. Gosh, we could talk for so long. This really is the $7 version of the boxwood bush that over the decades will grow for us. There's a million questions I'm not answering this morning about the scriptures that I know you have. Man, and I'd love to dialogue with you about those. But, but here, the essence of what he's trying to say here is it's from God. It's profitable. And then he gives us this framework. He's going to give us four things in the rest of verse 16. Look with me again. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof or, or rebuke, for correction and for training in righteousness. So I can't remember where I found this diagram, but, but here's a diagram that I think will help us a little bit. Actually, I found it in a Xerox piece of paper that um, I don't even know where it actually came from. So this is like a bootleg diagram from something I don't even know, so I can't give credit, but it's not, it's not mine. But it is, I think, in essence, what Paul's talking about in this passage in a way that we can wrap our mind around, what do we actually do? Okay, if that's all the big vision, now what do we actually do? And the first thing he says is that the scriptures are profitable for teaching. And the idea here is this is the road that we should be on. It starts with teaching, and then the, as we walk down the road, if you can see this right turn where the word rebuking shows up, often we drift and we stray. So the scriptures teach us what God wants for us, and then it shows us or holds up a, a litmus test or a template or a mirror to us to say, hey, man, this is where you've gotten off base, right? This is the Colossians 3, 5, 2, 11. These take off these things, the flesh. It shows us, hey, anger and malice and wrath and slander and escaping and sexual morality. These are not what God has for you. So it rebukes us, and it doesn't just slap our hand and tell us no. It actually now brings us back and corrects us. It helps us get back on the path that God has called us to and shows us what does restoration look like and what do I do with my shame and how do I deal with the regrets and where do I need to make amends with somebody. It helps me actually be corrected to get back on the path and then it trains us in righteousness. So if you can imagine, then starting on the left side here, we hear God's word teach us. When we go astray, it rebukes us and reproofs us, this text says. And then it corrects us, it trains us, it helps us, and then it moves us back towards righteousness. It's a pretty simple diagram, but for some reason, having that in my head has been really helpful to engage the scriptures and say, what is God calling me to? What's he correcting me from? How is he actually bringing me back in line with his heart? And then how does he train me to go forward? Which I think are the questions we should be asking in our small groups, right? To teach us what God has said to us, right? The word is living and active, the scriptures say it. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And so it, it pierces to the deep places of my soul. And it trains me and teaches me what God would have for me. So I should ask, what does the word say about this? What is the teaching in the scriptures, right? That's a question that we have to ask in our small groups, right? We'll study sermons, we'll look at books, we'll engage with different passages, and as we do that, we'll be asking, what is the teaching of the scripture? And what will be super helpful to be in community is, we're not just stuck with one little section, we're actually asking, what does all of scripture say about this? So I was with somebody yesterday kind of talking through a situation at work, and it was helpful to zoom out past the one question that was being asked to a broader framework and say, what does God's words teach about our identity? about our security, about, about our hope. We're asking a question about vocation, but let's zoom out to 
identity. Let's zoom out to how do we respond in love from 1 Corinthians 13. Let's zoom out a little bit and ask, what are the teachings of Scripture? So that's the first question. What, what does it say to us? And then number two, where do I struggle with that? Right? Where do I have a hard time believing this is true? Right? This is that rebuking. This is the space where I get off the path. Where do I find myself not following what God's word says, but actually finding other lies to be really compelling? Where are the places where my heart is tempted to drift? Where do I struggle essentially believing that teaching? I think that's the question behind the rebuke and the correction, right? So what, what do I long for instead? Can I be honest in community about where I'm struggling to believe that teaching is actually true, which I think is where we kind of find fertile soil for disobedience in our hearts, I have a hard time believing that. I have a hard time trusting that. My, my pain and my story make that difficult for me to actually engage wholeheartedly. That's a question I should just ask in community. Hey, here's a place, honestly, where I'm struggling, and I can just say, hey, where am I struggling with what that teaching is about? Because when I struggle with that, I'm tempted to go off the rails. And the Scriptures actually give me permission to be honest about that because God's made provision to bring me back on the rails, which is this idea of Correction, right? So, what does God's word say? Where do I struggle with that? Number two, then how should I respond to where I'm struggling and to what God's word has said? And particularly, what I want to do is ask, how does Jesus speak into this? What does the good news of the gospel mean for me in this place? How do I apply the fact that Jesus died for me? He rose again. He's coming again to make all things new. If He's taken my sin and my shame and my pain and my brokenness upon Himself to heal and redeem, how does that affect where I'm struggling to follow? How does that break the power for the allure of the things that I'm tempted to look at rather than Jesus for my own satisfaction and help? How should I actually respond, right? So I'm imagining I'm sitting in a group. We open up the text and we say, what does this say? And we just talk through what we hear God saying through his word. And then we have this honest moment as a people and we say, all right, that's all great. Where do we struggle with that? What's hard about that? Where have you found it difficult to engage with that. And because we're under grace and Christ has already died for our sins, that's not a threat to your identity to admit struggle. In fact, we want to be the kind of community where struggle is welcome and not held up as the highest good, like that's all we want to do. We want to actually move towards being corrected and trained in righteousness, but, but we actually want to be honest about where we struggle, right? The Word of God actually gives us examples of people struggling. So where do I struggle? And then and how should I respond between the gap of what God teaches and where I'm struggling, how do I engage the good news of Jesus in that place? What would it look like for me to actually respond? Which is this idea of correcting. It's, it's, bringing, it's bringing it back. Right? The, the Greek word actually means restoration to an upright position. Right? It's, a, it's a means of like bringing things back to where they're important and they're beautiful when it comes to my life and character. That's what that word means, right? So if I'm getting off the rails, then how do I actually engage the good news of the gospel to get me back into a spot where my heart is tender to the things of God again? So, so we as a community, because the word is strong, can be honest about our brokenness and we can actually respond to where we struggle and ask Jesus to, to meet us there. And then fourthly, it says that it trains us in righteousness, right? It moves us down the track. It actually has the habit of actually transforming our hearts. And so there we just ask, I mean, what would it look like for me to put this into practice? What does it say? Where do I struggle with that? How do I look to Jesus for what I'm struggling with? And then how do I actually put that into practice? This training in righteousness, right, it's incredibly practical. And you just hear in that like process, 
You don't hear arriving, you hear training. It's movement, it's development, it actually is growth for us. And so our communities are the kind of place where we can hear God's word, we can be honest where we struggle, we can ask it to help us get back on track because we are looking to Jesus, and in that space, we're letting that train our hearts. So Titus 3 says that, that the grace of God has appeared, and it, and it teaches us, it trains us to turn away from unrighteousness and actually move back towards God. The gospel actually has this training impact. And oh, friends, to be in a community where on a regular basis we're honest about our brokenness and our need and hearing the good news of Jesus to help unravel where we struggle with belief and unbelief so we can move back towards him. Hey, that's the little $7 boxwood. I'm convinced if we will give ourselves to that, even though some Tuesday nights don't feel very sensational, even though sometimes you don't want to go, even though when you gather with your family or with your friends around the scriptures and you're going like, man, I don't even want to open up the text, I'm exhausted. If we'll give ourselves to the practice of letting God speak into our situation, it will radically and, and substantially transform us incrementally over time. It, it will radically and substantially transform us incrementally over time. It's a long view of a patient God who speaks authoritatively, provides what his people need, and rallies them around the good news of what Christ has done in ways that do actually change them. Like that, that's what uh, I want our church to be built around, right? That's why we read the text before the sermon. It's why our sermons are rooted in the text. It's the scriptures that will actually change us, right? And he says that. These four steps, he says in verse 17, the purpose of that is so that we might be equipped and complete and ready for every good work. It's not just to stay in our heads. It's actually to move us outward, right? So that is the hope. The scriptures, we have to be careful not to worship them. The goal is not just to understand the Bible. We understand the Bible because it gets us to the God of the Bible. We want to engage the scriptures not just for the knowledge of the scriptures, but that knowledge actually tells us about a person who loved us, who sent his son to die for us, make all things right and new, which is the essence of our hope. And the scriptures say that actually changes and transforms us. So, so I want us to gather around that. Those four questions, we'll throw in an email to small group leaders this week. This framework, I think if we could have that in front of us, so what am I asking the scriptures to do? It's a simple way to wrap our mind around how does the scripture function in community? So as we ask, what is God saying? We know what to do next with it. What does it say? Where do I struggle with that? How does Jesus speak to that struggle? And then how would that actually help me move forward? What it look like for me to put this into practice? Those four simple questions, they'll, they'll change us over time. And I believe that because we're experiencing in our community already. Because Jesus promised it. The one who spoke this word promised to transform and change us. Like Philippians 1.6 says that he who began to go work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Substantially, radically, and incrementally as we gather around his word. And when we say the word of God, we ask God, where do you speak most clearly to us? And it's in his son, Jesus. So I want to just stop here and go towards communion with the idea in your mind that what God has spoken to you at the cross of Jesus through his broken body and shed blood gives you hope. And where you have tension with his word and not quite sure what to do with certain passages, you start with what is most clear and most clear and most loud and most true and most obvious and most um, helpful and the beautifulest of news of Christ dying in our place to rescue us and redeem us and call us to himself. So, so we'll take communion 
as we even wrestle with God, would you speak to us now the good news of grace where we're struggling? Would you train our hearts to believe the good news of the gospel? Would you help us actually receive what you've done for us so that we can move forward? That, that's my hope. So would you bow your head with me real quick and let me lead us in a prayer and then we'll take communion. Jesus, we pray now that you would speak to us, living word of God. Would you speak in powerful ways and in clear ways? And I realize as I'm talking, there's people who are struggling to believe that the word is actually reliable and true. So would you speak to that space where people are struggling with what's happened in the past where there's been abuses through the scriptures? God, I pray even the the thought that you correct us with your word even helps us where we've gotten off base and how we apply your word. Would you even speak that into this space? Because the truth is you sent your son to die in our place because of our brokenness so that we could be redeemed and we could be healed. So Holy Spirit, would you use the word? Would you use the declaration of the gospel through communion? Would you speak to us now and would you change and transform us substantially and radically, even incrementally this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. for joining us online. Leeway Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.